I'll venture to say it will not be long before there'll be special laws made in Congress to protect Islam. Because, you see, there's people going to be speaking out against it and how that the teaching itself is detrimental to America and how all of these Al-Qaeda cells are nothing but hate-mongering cells that turns people against America. And they'll want Sharia law and they're going to want to change it our Constitution. This is coming. And anything said or done that would offend them is going to make the news. And they're going to have to have special protection. So I don't believe that. Just wait. Now in verse 4, we have it where the Lord Himself, God the Father, says that He is going to sit in the heavens, shall laugh. And the Lord shall have them in derision. Uh, while you're right here, look in Psalms 37, the 37th Psalm. 37th Psalm. And look there in verse 13. When he talks about the, the wicked, there in verse 12, the wicked plotteth against the just, gnash upon him with their teeth. The Lord, and you ought to underline it, shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. You see, the Lord knows the future. And God is allowing these people to come together. And in their judgment, they wanted to kill Christ. He said he was the king of the Jews, and therefore the Romans, they only have one king, and that was Caesar. They got a problem. So they were able to turn the people, the religious leaders, the Romans, the Jews, they're all against him. And so they crucified Christ and he was put on the cross. But the Lord says, you go ahead and you plan. You work, you do your scheme. But there's a God in heaven that looks down and sees the affairs of men and he makes a statement. He says, fellow, it ain't over yet. Do your worst. And then he says, the Lord shall have them in derision. In other words, there's a time coming when God is going to speak. Now, hold your place right here and look in Proverbs in chapter 1. The book of Proverbs in chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, and I want you to look there in verse 22. Verse 22. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 22 says, How long, ye simple ones, Will ye love simplicity? It means to be naive. And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. In other words, but they appear to be bright. They appear to be so wise. They're so intelligent. But in God's eyes, it's just the opposite. You see, there is a God. Jesus Christ is his son. And he is truth, and he is right, and he's never wrong. A man reveals his wisdom by what he does with God, with Jesus Christ. And there are many fools who mock, make fun of. So he says here in verse 23, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because, get this, because I have called and you have refused. I stretched out my hand, no man regarded. But ye have set it not 
That means count as nothing all of my counsel and with none of my reproof. This is God saying, look, I have sought you. I have sent you prophets. I have sent you the godly men. I have sent you my word. I told you in advance when I would come, how I would come, how I would live. I told you everything in advance, but you wouldn't listen to me. You wouldn't listen. So they did what they wanted to do. God says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Now, get what he says. He says in verse 26, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they will not find me. And they that hated knowledge did not choose the fear of the Lord. They were none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way, and they'll reap what they sow. I just threw that in there. I thought you'd appreciate that. Now go back there to the book of Psalms. God, who sits in the heavens, looks down and he sees the wickedness of man. And knows what they're going to do, but God can take the wickedness of man and accomplish his purpose. It says in verse 5, Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, vex them in his sore displeasure. In other words, he's going to put a curse upon them. God can curse a nation or bless a nation. And I believe in America we're going to see some of the cursing upon America. Because we have thrown away all of God's reproof, God's warnings. We have not heeded and listened like we should. Now this is as a nation. You change your nation by changing your laws. And we change in our laws because we've changed our God. I'll preach a sermon on the changing of the gods. Well, anyway. Look at verse 6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. When Jesus was born, in the book of Matthew, it says, King of the Jews. King of Israel. Jesus Christ was the king from the day he was born. He is king. And he has the right to be the king. And he says, I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now, there's two things that I want to bring out concerning this verse. One is whenever Jesus Christ was taken upon Mount Zion, whenever he was up on the mount and crucified, I believe that God has taken the wicked acts and the wicked deeds of the people when he says in the book of Acts, you have by wicked hands have taken and slain, and he says by the determinate counsel of God himself, as God looks down through the telescope of time, and God used the deceitfulness and the wickedness, the ungodliness of men, and they rejected his son and put him on the cross, that God had determined to use them to accomplish his purpose. And when Christ was on the cross, that God says, like, I, I set my son upon that hill. I sent him into this world. Jesus says, a body hast thou prepared me. So Jesus Christ went to the cross. Now you and I know there's a time coming when he's going to come back to the earth 
and he's coming back. And his feet's going to touch upon the mount. It's going to cleave in the mist. So he came twice when he came into this world and was crucified. And then he's coming back again. But I want you to see this. I believe you have here perhaps the voice of the Lord himself, Jesus Christ. Because look what he says in verse 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord, L-O-R-D, Jehovah, the Father, has said unto me, the Son. Because he said, Thou art my Son. This day have I begotten thee. Now in the book of Acts, it will show you that this scripture refers to when Jesus Christ came back from the dead. We often read that verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, his only begotten Son. The begotten doesn't necessarily always refer just to the birth, but when he gave his Son and brought him back from the dead. So Jesus Christ died on the cross and the Father brought him back from the dead. We talk about being born again, brought back to life, brought him back. And Jesus Christ was the begotten Son, came back from the dead. But when he came back from the dead, it's because he was placed upon that mountain and he died and paid for the sins of the world. So God can use the ravages of man. Why does he rave? What is he so upset about? Imagine a vain. God can take the wickedness of man and accomplish his purpose. Now, he says here in verse 8, Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost part of the earth for thy possession. This is because there is going to be, and you can see his person, he is worthy to rule. In verse 7, he has the right to possess the earth. And so I'll make the earth my footstool. And he will rule and everything and everybody will be in subjection to his authority. Now the world today can reject his authority. They can reject the influence. They can reject all of his counseling. All of his reproof. But God says the day will come when I'll sit in the heavens and I'm going to do the laughing. He says, and men's hearts failing them for fear, seeing the things that are coming upon the earth. And they don't have the answers. But God says he's going to rule. He's going to work. And he says here in verse 9, when he talks about the heathen for thine inheritance, he talks about those who will trust Christ as Savior as a result of the payment that he made on the cross for him. You see, every nation upon the earth, one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of Christ. And then he says in verse 9, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. When Christ comes back after the seven-year tribulation period upon the earth. So he comes here for us. He comes back here with us. And when he comes back, the Bible says he will rule with a rod of iron. And the thousand-year reign upon the earth Nobody gets away with anything. That's where he talks about if a man slaps you on the cheek, turn him the other cheek. That's when he's talking about if a man sues you and takes your coat, give him the other one too. 
And he bids you to go one mile, go two miles. Don't worry about it. There's a king here that writes everything. And nobody violates his law. Jesus Christ will rule with a rod of iron. And he says in verse 10, as a conclusion, he says, be wise, and here's that word you ought to underline or circle it. Now, I believe it's the Holy Spirit that woos us, wins us, convicts us, teaches us, and actually borns us. But he says, be wise now, therefore, ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. In verse 12, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. When he talks about blessed are they, I believe there's two words that I like to throw in on what this is referring to from the book of Romans. For David, who wrote this psalm that God used, made the statement, Blessed is he whose sins are covered or paid for in the New Testament. And blessed is the man unto whom God will not impute sin. Isn't it something that God does not impute my sin to me? He imputes it to his son, Christ. Paid for it. Paid. Paid. Blessed is that man. But this verse right here, even though it's in the Old Testament, it's the same as we would find in the New Testament. Blessed are all they that put their trust, their faith, in him. Who? The one that died. The one that the world rejected. That were against his anointed, against his Christ. Now, let's just pretend for a second. You and I as individuals can't do much about what nations do. Is representative of the collective of the people. But look there in the second psalm. And you'll notice that if you put this to the person, you and me, an individual, regardless of what the nations do, as a person, did you realize that you also fall into this category? Why do you rage? Why are you so against God? Why are you so against Jesus Christ? Why do you imagine things that are not true? Did you know that not to believe there is a God is vain imagination? Not to believe that there is a hell is vain imagination? In other words, you're thinking and imagine something, and you say, well, it's not real, but it is real. And you may come to the same conclusion that these nations did when Christ came the first time. Why do the heathen rage? Why do you? I've talked to so many people want nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with Christ. Don't even want to talk about the Bible. No, you can talk about everything in the world, but say you want to talk to them about the Lord. Have you ever had anybody take the Bible and show you how to have eternal life? And so many of them, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. I tried to witness to a lady at a restaurant. I says, ma'am, can I uh, ask you, do you uh, know where you're going to go when you die? And she, she was so nice and so sweet. She brought me my food and she had a smile on her face and she was so jolly. She poured me my coffee and I asked her a simple question and she says, I don't want to talk about that. But which, which, where'd that woman come from? She says, I don't want to talk about that. 
And all I asked was, do you know where you're going to go when you die? What, what was her problem? Now, I don't know what's happened in that poor woman's life, but it wasn't good. Something had made her mad. I don't know if she heard that you had to earn your way to heaven or what. She realized she couldn't just give up, go to hell anyway. But I've seen her several times since then. And she'll be nice and friendly, but if I even say the word, anything about God, the Bible, if I even just show her my picture on the front of that track, it's like, anathema, anathema. Now, I know you never had anything like that happen. And they take counsel against God. They want to live their lives as though there is no God. That's why they never pray. They don't need the Bible. Because they imagine a vain thing. An empty thing. And their lives are empty. They have nothing. They have no hope. They have no real belief. No solid foundation. And they want to get away from anything that has to do with God's authority. They don't care for churches and they don't care for preachers. Can you believe there's people in this world that don't like preachers? You know, that, that breaks my heart. I'm one of the nicest preachers that I know. Why everybody wouldn't like me, I just don't understand. But it says in verse 4, Did you know that you can mock God now? You can run from God, do anything that you want to do. But God says your calamity is coming. Your day is coming. And just like, for example, terrorists try to terrorize a neighborhood because they maybe committed some murders. And everybody in the neighborhood scared of that. God says, you just wait till I terrorize you. God is going to terrorize this country. He's going to bring terror to this world. Men's and hearts failing them. People wanting to die and can't die. Running, trying to hide in the rocks of the mountains and the dens and the caves, trying to get away from God. And God is going to terrorize this world. This world hasn't seen terror like God's going to bring. That day's coming. And God says he's going to sit in heaven and have them in derision. In other words, they don't know what to do. They can act so big and so smart like they got all the answers. They don't have the answers. The people in Washington, they don't have the answers. Our hope isn't there. Our hope is in the Lord. And we trust the Lord. And we pray for them that God will be able to still work his will through rebellious individuals, just like he did the first time. Now, you saw how the world was set when Christ came the first time and what they did. And this is what they're going to do the second time. And the world is going to come together. And there's going to be what we call the great battle of Armageddon, where the nations of the earth are going to vote themselves in, and they're going to have them one guy in charge of everything. They don't need God. They're going to all come together because they've got a common cause. And they're going to put all the nations of the world under their authority. A one-world government. Globalization. It's coming. We're already being conditioned for it. Little by little. And so the Lord says, in spite of how you think and feel, I sent my son, 
to the cross to pay for your sins. And all that you have to do is accept that payment Christ made on the cross for you, and you can have as a free gift everlasting life. But so that you know, Christ is coming back. He is going to rule. He's going to reign. And all these nations that were against Him are going to bow before Him. And every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. To the glory of God the Father. So God will, and God says He hath given Him a name which is above every name and the heathen for His inheritance. In other words, it's like Christ says to His Father. If I go to the cross and I pay for the sins of the world, what am I going to get out of this? God says, I'm going to take all those people and give them to you. And so that's why Christ says in the book of John, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Because Christ is the one who died for them. And God the Father is going to give them, this is your inheritance. That's why we're called heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You and I will belong to Him. You see, in verse 10, verse 10, it kind of shows you the intellect of man, the mind of man. And verse 11 talks about the emotions of man, the trembling, the fear. In verse 12, about the will of man, the deliberate choice that every person has to make. Blessed is he that puts his trust in him. Nobody can make you do this. But somewhere along the line, you need to understand, you can mock God today, reject Christ today, but one day your calamity is on its way. And you might wait too long. I believe you can trust Christ as Savior as long as you draw your breath. But who knows what frame of mind you're going to be in at that moment. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is when you should trust Christ as your Savior. And you may be here and you've heard this stuff all your life and you've never really trusted Christ as your Savior. It's amazing that so much good stuff is in one psalm. So hopefully you've listened and you've learned a little bit about the second psalm. It's a great one. Look up here. This hand representing you and me. This wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God says that we're ungodly. It means that we're not like God. We're separated from God because of sin. You see, heaven is perfect. We're not. We committed a sin and we have to pay for it. And the wages of sin is death and hell. Eternal separation from the Lord. So God says that he loves us. But he hates our sin. But we committed the sin. We have to pay for it. So the Bible says that to go to heaven and you have to be perfect and you're not. By your works, you never will be. You will never be able to produce enough works to make you perfect. It doesn't work that way. You are a sinner and your best works are sin. The best you have to offer is filthy rags in God's eyes. So forget this idea of trying to earn your way to heaven by your good work. They're not good. 
and they'll never be good enough. You have to be perfect. And that's why it's hopeless. No man can save himself. This hymn represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loved us, hates our sin because it separates us from him. Christ took the sin, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And God said if you and I, if we would believe that he did it for us, he would put the payment to our account and we get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you do it right now? Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If what I've said made sense to you, would you trust the Lord? Friend, you may have mocked God long enough. You've heard it, and you don't want His authority. You don't want anything to do with Him. Well, the day will come when God will laugh at you. And you'll call, and He says, I will not answer. I pray this because you understand and you'll trust Christ as your Savior now, today. And even when a person stands at the great white throne judgment and casts into the flames of hell, they can cry out all they want to. God will not hear. It's too late. So why not right now in the quietness of this moment, just say something to the Lord like this, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on that cross and paid for my sins. And I'm going to trust you as my only hope of going to heaven. Friend, if you'll do that, God will save you, give you eternal life. Would you do it? I'm going to ask you just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand does not save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. And I'd like to have prayer for you. And what about before we close? So yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior this morning. And preach, I'd like you to pray for me. Would you slip it up real quick? Put it right back down. Anyone at all? Yes, God bless you, ma'am. You can put it down. Anyone else? Just slip it up real quick. Yes, God bless you, ma'am. Other others? Anyone else? Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together, for the opportunity to study your word, and pray especially for the individual who we indicated by an uplifted hand that they would trust you as their Savior. And Father, by doing so, they become your child. You'll never cast them out, never lose them. We pray, Lord, your will to be done in this person's life, that you put a hedge about them and protect them, that they can study your word and get into a good Bible believing and teaching church and grow strong. We ask your blessings upon this church, our state, our country. And Father, we know we have many that do not know you, and do not want your will to be done. But Father, we pray that you would work through the leaders that we do have and accomplish your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.